Okay, friends, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews is just before the book of James, just after the book of Philemon. Hebrews 13, if you're using the Bibles and the chairbacks, is on page 654. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word and would you use it to change our hearts? This is a topic, the topic of submitting to leaders that for many of us is very, very hard to swallow because we have been abused by this text. So open our ears and give us wisdom to hear how your Holy Spirit is moving and is speaking through your word. Your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide soul from spirit and joint from marrow. Use it now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm stuck to the pulpit this morning because I can't walk around without my mic, so I'll try to keep your attention the best I can, but I'm going to be right here the whole time. Listen, we've been in a series on leadership in our church. We have been talking about what does it take for us to be a church to have her own leaders? What do those leaders look like? We talked three weeks ago about what it means to be a shepherd. We talked last week about what it meant to be a servant. Those are the two words for leadership in the Bible. One refers to elders, one refers to deacons. This week, we're going to talk about that oh-so-famous and hated idea of submission. Next week, we'll talk about the selection of our elders. Scripture gives us two big images Two consistent metaphors, shepherd and servant. And it says in Hebrews 13, 17, we are to submit to our leaders. Now implied in this text is those are the leaders over the church in which the Hebrews found themselves. They are to submit to the shepherds and the servants, the elders and the deacons. Now, what is the purpose of submission? And what is the practice of it? That's what we're going to look at this morning. The purpose and the practice of submission. Are you ready? Okay. Got your tomatoes? Let's get them ready to throw them at me. This is a great topic that we all hate. The purpose and the practice. Thank you, Charlie. I see your hand cocked and ready. Of submission. Here it is. Hebrews was written to illustrate that Christ is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses and Aaron. He's greater than all the Levitical laws of the Old Testament. Jesus is greater. That is the point of the book of Hebrews. In fact, he's so much greater. He's so much more beautiful than as we're going to see in a minute. He is the blazing sinner. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when the author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, When the author of Hebrews gets to the 
last part of his book in chapter 13, he gives us some very, very practical things to do in light of the fact that Christ is greater than everything. And one of those practical things that he commands us to do is to submit to your leaders. It says to obey and to submit to your leaders. Now, the Bible talks a lot about this word submission. You can't get away from it. Remember when Jesus was a little boy and he was at the temple and they went in for the Passover and his parents left and they're going back, right? They're going back home. And Jesus, they go almost a day's journey and they realize, wait a minute, we've got all of them except one. And they go back and they see Jesus and he's there in his father's house. And he says, well, of course I would be in my father's house. Wouldn't you expect to... And then it says that Jesus submitted to his parents and he followed them home. We're commanded to submit to God's laws in Romans 8. We're commanded to submit to God's righteousness later in Romans chapter 8. In Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, wives are called to submit to their husbands. (gasps) That's another sermon for another day. We are to submit ourselves to God in James 4. We are to submit to each other in Ephesians 5.21. Listen, there's a whole lot of submission going on in the Bible. Submission is God's ordained means by which he loves and cares for his people. Submission is God's ordained means by which he loves and he cares for his people. People. The question of submission is not the presence of it in your life, but the identification of it. Let me say it again. It's not the presence of it in your life. It's the identification of what the object in your life is toward which you submit. Are you with me? Everybody submits. The word submission is arguably the most hated word in the English language. Hated. It's offensive. And this is reflected, you know, not only in our culture, but it's also reflected in the way that we use language. For example, you know that uh, a Google Analytics search of all the books that have been published from 1803 till today, the word submission has decreased by 75% in its actual usage in the English lexicon or language or daily... Authors who shape and fold the cultural language that we use on the street, they no longer use that word submission. Only one in four times will you hear the word submission now compared to what you used to hear about it in 1803. There's a whole bunch of reasons why that's the case. Primarily because we all know from our experience that people have used that term submission to browbeat and whip people into servitude in very harmful and manipulative ways. Many of us have never been to church before that come to our church, or they've been to church before, and they were burnt out, and they often find themselves on the margins or the outskirts of churches, and they come in, and oftentimes the reason is because they felt like They were whipped over the head. They were manipulated by this term submission in a very unhelpful and even unbiblical way. 
It is our experience. It's also in the air we breathe. It's in the ethos of our culture. Western culture. By Western, I, I mean not like cowboys. I mean like east of, uh, west of Greece, right? Like modern Western culture, right? In the history of ideas in Western culture. Power is assumed to corrupt people. And so we are a democracy. We're not a monarchy ruled by one or an oligarchy ruled by the many. We are a democracy. We spread out the power as much as possible because we are trying to push against that maxim, which we know to be true, that power corrupts. It is a proverb of the Western world. Hupeko, which is the Greek word for submission, means to yield. It means to give the right away. It means to yield up your preferences. It means to submit. It doesn't mean to give undying allegiance to the person you submit to. It means that you submit to the law or the rule by which they are calling us to rule or um, to submit. It's an overarching law. It's an overarching idea. You don't submit, for example, to the person, you know, your teacher at school. You don't yield undying allegiance to her. You yield undying allegiance to the idea that order is good in the classroom. You yield undying allegiance to the vision of what makes the classroom, for example, beautiful, function in an orderly way. The power of authority is not the person that is offering this. It is the one who empowers them to demonstrate or execute that administrative role. Now, don't let me lose you. Here's the point. The question of submission is not its presence in our life, but the identification of what we submit to. Every one of us submit. Let's just consider the options for just a moment. Like if we got what we wanted and we could get rid of this word altogether, which some of us really want to do that. We hate this idea of submission. That's why we like a young church plant, right? There's a bit more freedom and we can do new things. We can be used according to our gifts, and which is all true and right. If we could get what we want, what are the alternatives for us? Well, one alternative is anarchy. Not the rule by one or many or the people. It's the rule not by the few. It's no rule at all. But, of course, we all know that anarchy, there's the reason why no country has ever publicly endorsed that view of governance, right? It would be utter chaos all the time. You would do what you wanted. It would be absolute, utter chaos. So you have to have some kind of rule or order to submit to. Not the rule of anarchy. Well, what is it? Well, how about the rule of self? Well, the rule of self in a world with fallen, broken people, where there are natural disasters, where people allegedly gas their own countrymen, like we're seeing in Syria right now, right? The rule of self, is that what we would want? Honestly, like, is that what we would really want, the rule of self? Each man for himself. Have you ever seen what extreme isolation and loneliness does to humanity? You know that um, in the book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, Lewis took a group of people on, a, on a, a bus ride from heaven down to hell. And when they got to hell, Lewis described hell in this way. Each person in hell got exactly what they wanted. 
autonomous individuality. And the longer they were in hell, the more they got the desires of their heart, which for a fallen human being, they act according to their nature, which is ruthless and sinful to the core. And over time, the image of having neighbors, right, the lamppost of your next-door neighbor got further and further away until Lewis nails this image of hell home when he says that hell is increasing isolation forever and ever. It's dehumanizing. And rule by self, of course, would be that. We wouldn't know who to trust. We would constantly be demanding our own way. And in some ways, we all kind of operate according to a self-rule, but we, we um, have that shaped or we have it conformed by larger rules like the speed limit and by police and, and things like that. The reason why um, in prison to have solitary confinement is one of the worst forms of torture, is because we were created to be with people, to be in community. And self-rule, if that's what we really want, is a kind of solitary confinement. It would be torturous for it. We don't want that. So what do we submit to? We're talking about options. What about the community? Okay, so we submit to the community in some nationalistic or some communal idea that fashions and shapes us but then again right the community can't always be trusted can it america enslaved thousands of people and they thought it was right as a community or the whole country of germany let's move away from america what about germany they together as a community espoused what became a religion of Nazism, which murdered six million Jews. Listen, that was a communal rule, an idea. If anarchy doesn't work, if self-rule doesn't work, if community ultimately can't help us rule ourselves, how do you rule? The answer is you have to have something objective. You have to have something from the outside. You have to have some way that God intervenes and he shows us what is objective truth in a world of subjective experiences. And he gives us the Bible to help us do that. It is God's ordained means by which he shows us what his commanded expressed will is. And in the Bible, God says, I have to help my people learn what it means to walk according to my statutes. And the way that I do that, as I call people of the church to be elders, and I call deacons to help come alongside them and serve the needs of the, of the people. Listen, passage after passage in Scripture says that people are like sheep without a shepherd. And I know we hate the word submission. But just think about what it would be like if we didn't have that word. If God didn't love us so much to say, this is how I want to shape and mold my church. This is the way I want to help her be the hands and feet of my kingdom in this world. We would be at a loss. So the question is, not what is the purpose of submission. We know that. It is God's ordained means by which he loves and cares for his people. But how do you practice it? What does submission look like? That's really the crux of the issue for us. How do you practice submission? Submission has always been at the very core of our relationship with God. 
Remember in the garden with Adam and Eve, God said to Adam, Adam, you and I will enjoy intimacy and fellowship as I created it to be. Beautiful and right, holy. You'll be whole relationally, psychologically, physically. You'll live forever. It'll be beautiful. But don't eat of that one tree over there. And the sin that Adam committed, through which we're all now affected, was not that he ate fruit as though there was like sin juice in that fruit. Kids, there wasn't sin juice in the fruit. The sin that Adam committed was insubordination. It was refusing to submit to God's express command and will. And when that happened, all of humanity was then fractured. All of creation was fractured. Creation yearns as though in childbearing for its redemption even now. And we yearn to be right with each other and with the Lord because it was first a function of insubordination. In fact, Martin Luther says that you and I don't break any of the Ten Commandments Unless we first break commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Because in our hearts, we are insubordinate creatures and we need to be shepherded. And this is true, just as true of my heart. It's more true of my heart today than it was of last week because I'm learning myself better. And the depth of my sin goes deeper. I'm conscious of more and more yuck. In my heart. But the Lord has called shepherds, called elders to help guide us back to the gospel. So, what's the practice? The practice is this. Hebrews was written to a very weary people. They were tired. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, he drops this very curious phrase that our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? It means that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the blazing center of all of reality. And as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they exist as a trinity. They have forever. And the reason why the world was created was because their love that they had for each other overflowed to give birth, if you will, to a creation that could worship and adore them. So these three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, have constantly been self-deferring for all eternity. They have, if you will, been submitting to each other. So this whole idea of submission comes out of the inner triune, I'm going to geek out on you for just a second, the inner triune Godhead, the perichoresis of God. That's a big word. The inner dance of God himself as a triune God. God knows what it's like to, because the persons of the Godhead are constantly self-deferring to the other. And out of that comes our very functional way of governing the church through elders. If God is the blazing sinner, then the elders' call to shepherd the sheep comes out of the person and the nature of God. They are to be Jesus' hands and feet for the world. Jesus can't be here right now, physically. Oh, he's here spiritually right now. But physically, he's at the right hand of the Father. And the physical manifestation of Jesus' presence, physical manifestation, is his visible church and the leadership of that visible church in the elders who shepherd her well. 
So, what's a practice? The practice of submission is this. I think there are five things you need to know. I'm just going to rattle them off. Those who hold authority in the church are ultimately accountable to the one who gave them that authority. It says it in this text. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Listen, the elders that you're going to choose here in several weeks, they have to give an account both of how well they governed Christ's church, but they also have to give an account for your obedience. Did you know that? They have to give an account for how the sheep acted. That is very scary. They are given the authority by the Lord to be his hands and feet, to govern the world. They will have to give solemn consideration. Not just of how they're doing in their leadership of the church, but how they are helping Others in the congregation live out God's expressed will and command. Second, the flock is called to submit to the authority of the elders. Now, let me say this very, very clearly. The word elders in the Bible is always plural. And the majority of people that have talked to me about their hard experiences in the past with other churches the majority though not all of them happened because that church was governed or overseen by some one person who had excessive authority in that church and they began to whip people around by that perceived authority but notice biblically the authority in the church is always plural it says submit to your leaders does it say submit to your leader although you could capitalize the L and say that's King Jesus himself. It says submit to your leaders, plural. The reason we have multiple elders with parity, with equality, I would be no different as a pastor than any of the men you elect to be your elders. We're all elders together. Is because we know that we are broken, fallen, messed up human beings too. And we are trying under the power of the Holy Spirit, called by the Holy Spirit, to lead this church in the best way we know how through prayer and communion, through relationship with you, through dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And you know what we need for that? We need you to do the very next thing it says in the Bible, verse 18. The author of Hebrews says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Listen, we need to have a clear conscience. And the way that we're strengthened to lead you best is by being prayed for by you. Oh, Lord, did you bless the elders of our church to have wisdom? Listen, we're in it together. There's a group of men who have the authority of this church, not one person. Because there's a checks and balances to God's people. He always wants people to feel safe. He always wants them to commune with him under the banner of the gospel. So to feel safe, you've got to have more than one elder. Otherwise, that person could never trust himself to lead a group. You always have to have a plurality of elders. It's the way it is all throughout Scripture. Does that make sense? Now, all human authority is derived authority. 
all who hold authority are ultimately accountable for the one who gave that authority. The exercise, here's another rule, the exercise of authority is designed to serve the well-being of those under its care. That's true of civil authority. It's much more true in ecclesiastical or church authority. And lastly, most importantly, the authority that is given to elders must be directed by God's word. The authority that is given to elders is not an inherent authority. It is a derived authority by the Bible. This is the objective standard of truth, or those alternatives that we would have, self-rule or anarchy or community, would just be play within the rule of eldership. No, we want to yield ourselves to Scripture, and we want to help hold people's feet to the fire, even as you hold our feet to the fire, to keep the gospel front and center. The purpose of submission is that God has ordained that means to be the way he cares for his people, through the overseeing, the oversight of elders. The practice of it is through the derived authority that comes to the elders as they submit to the will of God, and they shepherd the people for three reasons. They shepherd him in order to restore a fallen sinner, to bring glory to God, and to purify the church. And the mark of discipline for us is a mark of love. It is not a mark of hatred or contempt. It is the fact that we love you enough to say, hey, Brother Blake, I want you to know that I love you, but the way you're treating your wife, man, that is, that is not becoming of one who calls himself a Christian. Adultery is horrible. And therefore, we want to call you to account for that. That's a beautiful and right and good thing when it's done for the reconciliation of believers, for the purity of the church, and ultimately for the glory of God. The reason why discipline is a mark of the church is because Jesus was a realist about fallen nature. He knew that the church would need people to have a shepherd in the time of their life when they are most likely to kick against the goads of advice from anybody else. And the reason why you become a member of the church is so that you can submit yourself to the body of believers to say, I need you, I want you, you need to help hold my feet to the fire. It is not the presence of submission in our life. That's the question this morning. It is the object of your submission. And the elders that you will call to be your elders here in a few weeks are called to be under the authority of Jesus Christ himself. According to his word, it is not an inherent authority. It is not by the whims of their personality, no matter how charismatic or lack thereof they may be. It is to be administered according to God's word. And you know how it's administered? Through gentleness, not arrogance. Through love, not judgment. Because as you're going to look at next week, the reason why you call these men to be your elders is because they are men who understand that they can they have been forgiven so much who are they to judge except they are to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to help us be a loving place for our community a church that doesn't have church discipline is not a very loving church because a church exists to love the community and how can we love community if we are so shot through with the world and with the allegiances and the pleasures of the world that we don't extend 
a beautiful picture to Owasso of Christ's coming kingdom. If you do not have church discipline, you don't have a loving church because the church could care less about you. It could actually care less about the city because we want to be his hands and feet in such a strategic way that we've got to get out of the way in order to do that. We've got to continually come back to the gospel and repent and repent. And the verse that we read earlier in Ephesians, I mean, in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are there areas in your life today that your Savior is calling you to submit to him in? I'm not talking about elder submission. We don't even have permanent elders yet. But are there areas in your life when you feel like the Lord is calling you, your conscience is uneasy and he's calling you to submit to him in that way? Your practice of submission now prepares you to be the hands and feet of Christ on the day when we get our own ruling and shepherding elders. And the only way that you can submit is if you recognize that the only alternative for your submission is to one who loves you, who cares for you. The problem with self-rule or community rule is that they will always ask you to perform. You've always got to keep up appearances. You always have to keep performing. But the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the true shepherd of the sheep, never asks you to perform for him. He performs for you. You are saved by works, but those works are the works of Jesus Christ, not your own. And the only place that you could submit the whole of your life to and be approved and loved and affirmed is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he has called men to lead and shepherd his church to be the visible manifestation of that love in a lost and dying world to you and to me. So let's prepare our hearts now, shall we? To be people who love Christ so much that we're willing to obey his call to follow those that you're going to elect here very soon to shepherd his church. Amen? Never forget that in Christ you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare dream. If you recognize that you are more broken than you can ever imagine, and your hope is found only in Christ. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, the word submission is tough. It's tough to preach about. It's uh, not easy to listen to sermons about. We've seen it abused time and time again. But Lord, we know that you are the only loving option to yield our allegiance to because you died for us. You showed us the extent of your love for us and that you didn't beat us over the head and command performance. You performed what we could not. You fulfilled the law for us. So, oh Lord, I pray for those of us who are healing from very difficult experiences where maybe pastors or employers or bosses have manipulated or abused us through this idea of submission. Lord, I pray that you'll lead those men to repentance, those women to repentance. 
I pray that those of us who've been abused by it, Lord, that you'll help us to recognize how that can happen in a fallen world and that you will sing over us your great love for us. That though we are more broken than we could ever imagine, we are at the same time in Christ more loved and accepted and adored and cherished as your beloved sons and daughters than we could ever dream. Help us to worship in the midst of that reality, we pray. In Jesus' name.